0: Smartphone, the smartphone basket, And then we will dive into some Italian pictures, as opposed to all of that extemporaneous speaking that I did yesterday. It wasn't really extemporaneous, I pair, but. Okay. So these. We're in the paragraph, well, it's not a paragraph. We're in the line. In my book is called Bina. These, yes, after the period. These, on page 11 or 12, depending on the book you have. These, meaning the Chacham Bina, are the very father and mother which give birth to love of God and awe and dread of Him. Okay. Yes, yeah. dread. We spoke about dread. Okay. Fine. So Chacham Bina function as a father and a mother and the Midos, the emotions...
1: Respectively.
0: Yes, respectively. We're going to talk about that. Um, ...are the children. So let's first talk about does anyone have an intelligent question to ask me? That's a good thing to say. Well, let's, why don't you ask it, and then I'll be the judge of whether it's intelligent. I don't need to why is mm. Because in the Hebrew it says, which means they are in an exclusive sense. So in Hebrew you can say they are, but you're saying the they are. We say heim heim means they are, and I guess the translator thought very to convey lovely. that. I mean, um, I guess in that particular way of speaking English, very. This is the very father and mother. I don't know. But
1: what about the third one?
0: We'll get to the third one at the bottom chapter. Yes. yes. That that's also an intelligent question that we've been ignoring. Das, and we'll get to at the bottom. But there's a different question. I had in mind. Yeah. Wait. I thought you said when that when you meant third one, what about glorification? That's it. Very good question. We'll get to that at the bottom as well at the end of the chapter. We're going to talk about that too. Yeah? Why does it all of a sudden include fathers? Yeah. We previously had said that the three elements of the seichel are mothers. And now we're saying that one of them is the father and one of them is the mother. Which we're seeming to be confusing the gender roles of the parents here. So... I'm going to ask you a question. I'd like you to give me an answer. How many things am I holding in my hand?
1: One. A lot of things put together.
0: Well, it's one thing. What is it?
1: One device. It's a hole puncher.
0: Parts. There's many parts, right? So I could I look at each part separately, right? <clears throat> I could then take the different parts, like even this single part here, right? It's made of a piece of metal. There's some sort of like coating on it, right? Take that and draw it. I can then look at the metal and talk about its chemical composition. Right? I could count if I were to say how many things am I holding and you decided you want to answer by counting the number of atoms, then it would be a lot. That's the technical answer, a lot. So which answer is right? One, a few parts, a lot. All of them, right? They they depend on what's your level of analysis. Right? Which means when you're describing something. Rather than strictly defining it, you can have multiple, even conflicting descriptions as long as you're aware that they're talking from different points of view. That make sense? Mm -hmm. So when you zoom out, you might describe something one way and you zoom in, you describe a different way. That's not a contradiction, okay? So could an idea both be a stupid idea and a brilliant idea? I mean, if you're defining it as fundamentally stupid or fundamentally brilliant, I guess not. But if you're describing it, depending on what's your point of reference, in right? certain senses something could be stupid and in certain senses it could be brilliant. In certain senses something could be viewed as important and in certain senses the same thing could be viewed as unimportant. So, given that, and since we're not talking about you know, actual physical human bodies and biology, could something in a certain sense be described as a mother and in another sense be described as a father? Okay, so when we zoom out and we talk about the Seichel as a whole, all three things functioning as a unit, the Chachma, the Binah, and the Das, they're all functioning as a unit to produce the Midas, to produce the emotion. Are they, do they function more like a father or more like a mother? More like a mother. But then we look at their individual contributions and compare and contrast them, what would we see? That one of them functions more like a father and one of them functions more like... A mother. Chachma functions more like a father and Bina functions more like a mother. Okay. What I want to do is I want to explain um, explain that and also explain why it's important to know that. So, mothers actually, as we've spoken many times before, they actually um, generate the existence of the child and nourish the existence of the child. Right? So, um, how the baby develops in utero, right? Really, you know that that defines like everything about the basic biology of the baby. So, which of the two faculties of the seichel really shapes the the midah, the emotion that's going to be produced? The chachma, which is analogous to the father, or the bina, which is analogous to the mother. The bina, which means. The way you understand it, the way you're misbeynon on it, the way you ponder and reflect on something, which is the Bina dimension, that determines what kind of emotion you're going to create. The very same Chachma can produce differing emotions in different ways, depending on how you reflect on it, how you ponder it, how you're on it. Which means if you want to create a different emotion, which thing should you change?
1: The way you ponder.
0: The way you, ponder, the way you use your bina. So let's say, for instance, um, someone, is going, someone wants to create more um, awe of Hashem instead of love of Hashem. Theoretically, let's just say they want to do that. Do they necessarily need to switch the thing that they are thinking about no, they need to switch the way they're thinking about it. Okay. And that's, I mean, just, uh, it's even setting aside the time, that's a very important thing in life, right? Anything you are, there is no direct line between what you're aware of and how you feel. That's, that's what the altar is getting at here. So let's, set a, let's move away from, from the topic of God for a second and let's talk about something else. Someone stole your wallet. How does that make you feel? It doesn't make you feel anything. Because you have to be aware that someone stole your wallet. Right? Okay. Now, you're aware that someone stole your wallet. How does that make you feel? It doesn't. You are aware. Right. How are you making sense of that? How are you reflecting on that? How are you pondering it? How are you contextualizing that? That determines how you're going to feel about it. For instance let's say you were a deeply devout religious person, and um, the way you reflected on that is that God, in his great and merciful kindness, has given you this minor inconvenience as a way of giving you the opportunity of refining yourself and cleansing your soul from the stains of your sins, then how might you might feel at that point? If that's how you thought about it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Refreshed, gratitude, yeah? On the other hand, right, if you... um, Thought about it how this is just the latest in a series of unlucky incidents that only you suffer from then how what you feel very frustrated, yeah everybody's out to get you right so neither the reality of your wallet being stolen nor your nor your awareness that it happened actually shapes your emotion, what shapes your emotion is the way you put it in context, the way you make sense of it, the way you build for yourself. An understanding, in other words, how you use the faculty of being a relative to that. Okay. Which, by the way, means, um, according to the Chabad teachings, it is always incorrect to say that, that some event caused you to feel a certain way. And it's also incorrect to say that your awareness of an event caused you to feel a certain way. The thing that causes you to feel that however you're feeling is the way you make sense of it to yourself. So if you don't like how you feel, change the way you think about it. Change the way you make sense of it. Now, is that easy? No. No. It's like if you don't like living in a forest with, you know, if you're in a forest and you don't like living in a forest and you would rather live in a log cabin, that's fine. Change it. Turn the forest into a log cabin but we all understand that you can't just like snap your fingers and voila, right that requires that's hard work right but if you're sitting there day after day month after month year after year complaining why am I in an unsheltered forest when I could be in a log cabin and you could make a log cabin I mean then that's kind of your fault you have the responsibility to change it in that sense um, when the, the, the bina is much more like the mother because the bina actually gives shape and existence And defines what the kind of emotional response will be to whatever it is that you are aware of in your seichel. Now, let me. Can you use your bina therefore to prevent an emotional response? Prevent. Let's think about this. Why not?
1: Because emotions are emotions. Like, you're, the way you feel about it is so clear, whether you feel, like, happy about it, sad about it. Like, I feel like there are a very few people that can just not have any feelings towards anything. It's not anything about
0: it. But that's not what I asked. I said, can you use your bina to prevent an emotion? Not to alter it. How, how would you use your bina to prevent an emotion? Right, but isn't that just getting a different motion? So I, I like the same thing, my wallet gets stolen and so I could, I could really understand it one way and then I'll feel gratitude. I could really understand another way and feel upset. Can I do something with my a so I don't feel anything?
1: Yeah, you have to on sometimes you don't
0: have it What? Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: So that's that's the question. Are we gonna call indifference an emotion? For today's purposes, I want to call indifference an emotion, because then what you're feeling is a sense of belittlement towards the thing in general. In other words, what you're saying is losing your wallet just not doesn't warrant emotion. So what's your emotional attitude towards losing your wallet? It's petty. Or you don't have it doesn't make you upset it doesn't make you like you're not having a more visceral response because your, your emotion that you've cultivated towards is, is a sense of you know depending on the, how <coughs> passive or active this emotion senses is one of anywhere from um, more just uh, disregard to outright um, derision towards it like it's, it's, it's a stupid thing like why I get up right? I'm talking about like literally there's no emotional. whatsoever. You can. You can. I'm not saying you should, right? I want to be very clear is just because you can doesn't mean you should And the reason why I want to say that you can is because surprisingly people do this all the time. And then when you try to actually do this with God, about God, um, this becomes a a handicap. Remember what I said about about, um, the way you think about something is going to affect the emotion? Well, the way you think about something means you're always understanding it in a context or from a point of view, right? So, for instance, let's say, let's take the wallet example. I gave you two contexts for thinking about the wallet. One was to think about the wallet in the context of divine providence and how these small annoyances are good for your spiritual growth and hygiene, right? That's one way to make sense of what happened. Another way to make sense of what happened is, right, to add it to a long list of you know, uh, things that seem to be just unlucky and unfortunate to make you feel like life is just one, one miserable event after another. What do those two things have in common, though? Those two points of reference, they're very different. But what do they have in common? I realize that, but what about the way of thinking about it? My wallet was stolen. And I'm making sense of it in what context? I'm making sense of context of how it affects me. Now, within that, there's a, there's a range of possibilities, right? Here's a third context for someone stole my wallet. Someone stole my wallet. Well, that's an interesting thing, right? That means that there's a concept of ownership, right? And, you know, the, you know and, and theft, and how does theft interact with ownership, and, when my wallet is stolen, does that mean it becomes their money? And then they owe me compensation? Is it still my money? Um, do they have to. There's another thing, which is what, what are the social factors that make the situation possible? And once I could start trying to make sense of it in ways where I am just not a point of reference for the discussion. And when I do that, what's my emotional response? Mm-hmm. Nothing. In other words, if you want to use Bina to be a mother of emotion, what has to be part of the context that you're using to make sense of the thing? You. So when I make sense of something in terms of myself, then Bina functions as a mother. If I'm making sense of the things, thing in the um, abstract or academically, will that result in an emotion?
1: No. No. uh technique set up you can not have like that it's no relationship
0: well it depend it's not going to create emotion and therefore i can't like like so if i'm talking like sometimes you know um sometimes this happens um where a person is 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 learning a topic and the topic is just quite interesting and how this idea makes sense in terms of that idea and this concept versus that concept and putting these things in their historical, historical context and all that's very engaging your mind can be really involved in pondering and reflecting and making sense of that yeah. and there's a certain enjoyment that comes with that and a certain passion but you're not really feeling happy that this particular thing is true or bad, sad that it's true because you're not thinking of it in terms of Yourself. In order for Bina to actually produce emotion, make sense of things in terms of its relative effect or relationship with you. Okay. Um, so I'm going to use just a, 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 an analogy. You know what a circle is? A circle is when you take one point and you move it around another point and it always stays equidistant from that point. Yeah, it's a circle. Okay. So if you imagine like this, the point in the circle, that's the point of Chachma. That's the thing you're aware of. And then your thinking, your bina is going around it. If you add another point, and that point is you, and then you make your thinking going around the both of them, do you get a circle? What do you get? You get some sort of an oval shape, right? Because now it's going around two things. Okay. So if it's this in context of me, and that's what my thought process is. That kind of vina is a mother to emotion. But now are you getting a full accurate sense of, of whatever that you're thinking about on its own terms? Are you getting a false understanding of it? Not necessarily, but you're getting a limited understanding of it. You're understanding it only in terms of how it features in some way you can relate to, you can appreciate in your life, how it affects you, yeah. Those who you say prevent their bina from working, and then it becomes a handicap for them when they try to do it, What are they doing? Are they not thinking about themselves in the context of reality? Right. So what happens is like this: is that this is this is a problem. Is that a person? Um, let's take an example. Um, you learn a you learn a you learn a um, a, a discourse, a mimer, and it explains. Um, that, a person is a person is not supposed to. Or let's use this: that every time a person um, indulges, they lose their spiritual sensitivity. Okay, now listen. Indulging causes you to lose spiritual sensitivity. Right. Now I could think about that and ponder that and reflect that on that, with ever once considering like, well, what does that mean for me and how does that affect me and what does that do, how does that restructure the way I navigate my own life, right? I can make it a purely academic question and become quite proficient and understand and be able to explain it very, very well. Will I ever, therefore, develop an emotion towards that that all of a sudden I'll feel more reluctant to indulge because I'm losing my spiritual No, because I never thought of it in terms of its effect on me. I'm only thinking about it in terms of the idea or in terms of you How does it affect you? How does it affect society? But not how does it affect me? And just one second. It's in order for Bina to have this thing of bringing the motion, it's when you're making sense of things, pondering things in such a way that on some level it affects you. Yeah. Well, that, that, so the, this, the issue is, is, what's your sense of you? If your sense of you is very expansive, then yes. But for most people, it's not true. In fact, one of the reasons why most people that study war are actually able to study war is because they are not having emotions towards the horrors of war. Um, the horrors of war are, are, are called horrors of war for a reason. And, and, and that, it makes it very hard for a person so to strategize in a war. Um, this is something that's like uncomfortable to to hear but it's actually true um when 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 people who are making decisions about starting wars and ending wars and how to run wars the minute their bina is in reference to themselves and themselves includes those that they empathize with then they become very ineffective they become very they become very biased towards avoiding certain outcomes or getting certain outcomes without thinking about the larger outcomes of what the war is going to be long term. In other words, there's a kind of dispassionate kind of pondering, a dispassionate that's necessary for things like that. Similarly, reason, why we, similar reason why we do not let, as a general rule, I don't think any country lets, um, relatives of the first degree operate on each other. Same idea. So, in order, vina is not necessarily the mother of emotion as a self-definition. But when the Bina is, when you're, when you're using your power of Bina to analyze something, to, to make sense of it, to, to, to build a, a cohesive, graspable conception of, and comprehension of what this really is and how it really works in terms of its effect on you. Okay, You meaning your individual self, you meaning your family, you meaning whatever. But something that you feel personally invested in then Bina Bina becomes a mother of emotion. But if the Bina is done in such a way that the whole goal is to make sense of the thing as is, (coughs) irrespective of its effect on me, or its effect on me is merely one other example, but it has no special significance, then the Bina will prevent emotion from occurring. Okay. This is one of the differences between using Bina in a more studying sense and using Bina in the more sense that we weren't talking about in developing a relationship with God. Okay. This is also why like, sometimes when someone understands you, they really they understand you, you don't feel understood. Because it's not about being understood, it's that you want that they've understood in such a way that it affects them. They've understood it. That you, you, this is what's bothering you, blah 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 blah. And yes, there's a such and such a person who's going through such and such issues, and okay, that's part of reality. Next, and so you can understand something very well, and if your way you're making sense of it is in terms of that part of reality, and there's no special focus on how that pertains to me, that understanding never leads to emotion. Okay? that's why if I realize my wallet is stolen, I usually get an emotion. If you tell me that some other random person's while was done, I probably won't get an emotion. Right. So there's there's two kinds of understanding. There's understanding something on its own terms and understanding it that's both accurate to itself. You're not distorting it. But in terms of how it pertains to you, how it affects you what are its consequences on you okay um, to, you know the, 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 the that kind of that kind of being able to be how, aware of yourself and your, the reality of you and aware of the reality of the thing you're responsible on and then to reflect on them in such a way where you're seeing where they fit together where are the tensions, where are the alignments, and you therefore the, and that and creates emotion. Oh, we fit together. Oh, we don't fit together. Right? Sometimes a person reflects on a relationship they have and they realize that we're growing apart. I'm like, oh, we're growing apart. They don't, move, and then they move on. No, it's, uh, we're growing apart. And now I'm bothered by that. Why? Because, because. The, because that relationship matters to me in some way. I, I, not just thinking about myself as just another theoretical example, but as, as, as a grounding element, something anchoring the whole thing. Okay? So, being a gives shape to things, but in order to give shape to an emotion, part of the way you're thinking about whatever you're thinking about has to be in terms of how does it really pertain to me? How does its effect on me, this, its significance relative to me? And yeah, that does sacrifice a more objective way of looking at it. A more holistic way of looking at it. Right? So I've mentioned this before, right? You can you pursue seichel for seichel, seichel you pursue seichel, pursue seichel to develop emotion. And that's a difficult choice to make, because if you're pursuing seichel for seichel, say, what do you not want to include in your hispaininus? A special emphasis on, on you and how it affects you. But if you do mix that ingredient into how you think about something and contextualize it, you're going to create an emotional response. And so some people, what, what, what some people have is they have a difficult, actually most people, they tend to, depending on the issue, lean one way or the other. And so if they tend to do the more, kind of this which which includes them as, a, as having some special significance, they find it very hard to learn about things. Because it's like, have you ever had this discussion where like, we're discussing something in class and you like wanted to like, so should we be doing this? But, but so, what are you, you're trying to make sense of it in terms of? Is this is this some is this is this is this is this um, an obligation on me? Is this as guidance for like like you're trying to make sense of it in terms of you? But that doesn't really give you the space to really understand it. But then conversely, there's some people that they're very, and here I like to use the word intellectuals. Like how it affects me, like that's just not engaging. Just not as empathy only as what is it on its own terms, and we can use me as an example, but I'm just another theoretical example. Like, don't in their own mind, they're not special the emphasis on them, and that's very good for learning and understanding and making sense of things in a broader way. It doesn't lead to emotion. So, if you want to use this bigness to bring to emotion, you have to use it in this kind of way, where including this bigness on some level is and understanding and making sense of it in a way that it the pertinence of it, the relevance of it okay. to you is apparent in how you're thinking about it. And within that, you have a great range of options. Like go this example of stealing the wallet, right? That stealing the wallet can be just an example of how your life is miserable, or it can be an example of how much Hashem cares about you depending on how you think about it. But you're both thinking, both ways you're thinking about it in terms of how it pertains to you. Yeah.
1: So are you saying that um, using, like, I guess, what is the... A healthy vina is. It, does it mean using vina in terms of yourself, or using it not in terms of yourself,
0: or balance between the two? So you already know how I feel about balance, right? So I like to I like to think of things as a as a hammer. Which is what is a healthy hammer? And the answer is, a healthy hammer is a hammer, a that, can hammer. Yeah. that can hammer. The real interesting question is, what's a healthy person in regard to a hammer? That's the trickier part, right? You know, the hammer is pretty much the hammer works is a healthy hammer. The more interesting question is, is there a person who picks up a hammer when they need to hammer a nail and then always they put it down? Or you see people that start hammering things at random? So it's the bean, the health of the bean. I mean, the bean could not be healthy for certain reasons, but the main question is, are you using it in a healthy way? And that's it. the question is, well, what's the goal here? Is the goal here learning? In which case, should you be including in your and in you're trying to make yourself understand deeply a special focus on yourself and how it pertains to you? If your goal is learning, the answer is no. If your goal is cultivating a relationship with something beyond your direct experience, like say someone else's deeper thoughts and feelings, or in our case, God, then the answer to that is yes, you should. And being a healthy person means knowing what your goal is when and using your being in the right way at the right time. Now, exactly what's the right way and the right time is going to vary from person to person, from area in life to area in life. Okay? In a classroom, yeah, the degree of trying to make ourselves understand should be very, you know, unlike the Bina we're talking about in this chapter, right? Because what would then end up happening? I'd be having to give private classes to every single person at once. right? That's what like well that's why there's like a sign up and speak to the rabbi one on one thing, right? On the other hand, some of those notions can then be talked about on their own terms. Yeah. Um, I don't
1: understand the father aspect in relation to emotion. I think that it's completely detached
0: from emotion. I didn't. I didn't explain it yet. I. I, I the reason I'm focusing on on, on the mother aspect is because that's that's the one where um, I think there's there's more. Difficulty in implementing not difficult. there's there's more more mistakes in implementation and the mistakes are more easily correctable. Like thinking about something, and this, so this is one of the reasons why like if someone asks how to lose money you have to know how do I think about something in such a way that it seems compelling to me, pertinent to me, relevant to my life. Is that the same for each person? No, right. what the way I think about something and the way you think about something even if we think about it the exact same way, it might seem um, um, compelling and relevant to me and that very same way of thinking about it might not in any way it might just seem abstract and theoretical to you. Right. So a person does have to do some kind of self-knowledge and exploring and getting to know himself and you can take ch- tips and suggestions. right? And then you sometimes the opposite problem is that you're so hung up on how it pertains to you, you never really develop new understandings of things and so you just keep we're pondering on the same things over and over and over again and that's where like, people get stuck in thinking like a 17-year-old even though they're 89. And there are people like that, that they really haven't evolved the way they perceive the world since 17 because everything's just being reinforcing those same ways of thinking. Okay. So it's not how much of this versus how much of this. It's when should I do this and when should I do that. And that depends on what is your goal. Is your goal trying to cultivate an emotional attachment to something? A reaction to something because that's what's needed and that's what's appropriate in our case a relationship with Hashem or as you're trying to actually broaden your overall understanding of reality and what really is true what isn't true and how it all works in which case leave your leave that special focus on yourself out of your hispanos out of your reflection and pondering and trying to make sense of things okay so and again the, so the way you use your being determines if and what shape the emotional response will be. And so that's kind of like basically analogized to human physical procreation, where whether there's pregnancy, um, assuming that everything up till then and how the pregnancy develops in determining the baby, that's all part of the biology of the woman. In a similar sense, that's all the contribution of the Bina, that how you think about something, how you make sense of something faculty. Okay. Why is Chachma called the father? Because it's not good enough to change it's not the mother, so then by default it's the father. Okay. So. Um, so first off, without a father you can't have a child. Right, that's the basic way that works. What is Ch- so that would mean without chachma, Bina can't produce an emotion. So you have to ask yourself, what is chach, what, why do we need chachma in order to produce an emotion? So the obvious answer is because if you haven't conceived of anything, then you're not aware of it, then you can't, you can't have an emotion. And that's, that's true, but there's something deeper. What if you're pondering something in a way that you're cynical or skeptical about it? Like that's your fundamental attitude towards it as you're pondering it. Like an atheist studying and pondering religion. That's right. So, is it possible to produce an emotion towards something if you're, if you don't have that openness of chachma present in the way you're thinking about it?
1: You
0: you you're you if if you if you if you don't have it, you don't really. I mean, you, is it possible to have emotions to something? if when you're thinking about it, you're not even open to it at all. And so you say, okay, the atheist, he has negative emotions to religion. I'm going to argue he doesn't have negative emotions to religion. You know why he doesn't have negative emotions to religion? Because whatever is in his mind is not religion. Because he's not open to it, what he has is some sort of Frankenstein monster version of the thing. When you are not open to something as you're thinking about it, even it's not that you're, you, have a draw, you could draw a complete blank. It's that what you end up with is is, is 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 a is something that is a grotesque distortion of the thing. And so you you can't ha- so so you have you have a false version in your head. Okay? Um but that sounds like you're saying that if everything is tortured with an open mind, but it can't be made. What do you mean like, yeah. about What I'm saying is like this. I'm not, I'm not saying the atheist doesn't have emotions, it's just his emotions are not directed towards religion, his emotions are directed towards what?
1: His,
0: the thing that he thinks religion is, so there's a you famous: That's a choice. It's not a, I mean I as a religious person think that they're wrong, but now if you say like this, you know if 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 if. if Anytime you ponder something with your vena, But you're not fundamentally open to, to it being real To being worthy To being significant, right? right? That's something that you should really um, Have some sort of genuine curiosity About genuine devotion To coming to be aware of To know for what it really is, right? Those Chalcham If you don't have that Whatever you end up with in your mind Is, not, is just literally a creation of your own mind It, does, it doesn't match the reality. So when an atheist studies religion, what do they have in their mind? They have some sort of, they've just cobbled together this thing that doesn't that doesn't reflect the reality of it. Okay. Now, in the case of me, I'm particularly biased to think religion is a real thing and it's a good thing, so then I'll say that that's bad, right? But that also means, by the way, um, it, can you, if you're not if you're not really open to something, you don't have a mo- you you don't have any relationship with it. So, I'm gonna ask you to tell me what you mean by trauma. Okay. So so, okay fine. so so so, to your head, off, so, so, so so so, fine. So in the terms of Hasidus, that's not called really, when you, when you, when you are refused to deal with something, you don't, and therefore you don't develop emotions, so then the way you, you don't have some sort of, like we spoke about earlier about how emotions bind and, and distance you, you don't have that. Right? It's not like, there's this thing called religion in my life and I hate it. Now, there are people who hate religion, and then they become atheists, that's different. Right? There's plenty of people who were religious, they grew up religious, they had religious experiences, and somewhere along the way they made sense in such a way that they found them abhorrent. And then, as a result of that, they're like saying, now I reject it. That's very different, right? Because now what's happening? First I have an awareness, then I process this, then the resulting feeling eventually was one of disdain. And as a result of disdain, I now no not really want, want to think about it anymore. That's very different from the person who a priori says, well, this whole thing is nonsense anyway, so, and then they go around trying to make sense of it. Then whatever they, whatever they build up in their head, whatever they think it is, isn't... It's ba- it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's gibberish. Okay? You, know, you know what, um, to give you, a, to give you a, a silly example to illustrate this, uh, you know what an ad lib is? Mad lib is, you know what no. mad libs, right? So mad libs are things that are grammatically correct but make no sense. Mm-hmm. Right? because there's no sense that it should actually match reality. Chachma, it's Chachma that gives you a sense that whatever you're making sense of should ultimately match reality. It should actually reflect what the truth out there. But if you're not open to that, then whatever you make sense of in your head is literally just stringing things together that's guided by who knows what, and then whatever you're reacting to is a figment of your own imagination, your own intellectual imagination, if you And by the way, um, the the Rambam says that in fact this is what, this is the source of most people's evil. Is that their, is that all of their emotional reactions are reacting to what? Not their understanding of reality. Their uh, or understanding of a warped thing that isn't even reality. Right. Now, for instance, so I'm gonna go back to my wallet example. My wallet example wasn't really a good example. I say no, just one second. Why is my wallet example not a really good example? Because when I think about the wallet example as this is just one more event that shows that my life is a series of miserable things, right? What's lacking in that way of thinking about it? What's lacking in that way of thinking about it? Chachma. Because, like, just take a, t- take a step out of, out of being the person who will just had their wallet stolen. It, right? If you were to really be open to perceive all of the things that happen to you and then categorize them, in terms of just On the basic level of Convenient and inconvenient The overwhelming majority are what? Convenient or inconvenient?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Convenient Right? Your heart keeps pumping blood <laughs> Right? Your legs keep like, like, So if you're really open to like Let's examine that issue Let's be aware of let's, let's look at my life as a series of convenient and inconvenient events You would never come to the conclusion That my life is a series of inconvenient events which means that person is not really reacting to the reality of their wallet being stolen. they're reacting to something warped in their head. So, if I really want to give you an example of how a Bina shapes the emotion, I have to give you two perspectives that both have chachma to them. In other words, that it's not with a little more awareness, a little more acceptance of, the, of what reality actually is, all of a sudden that way of making sense of it falls away. Chachma, in a certain sense grounds the way you're making sense saying well yeah but, but, but does reality actually look that way? Chachma is that voice that keeps chiming in the way you're making sense of it yeah, yeah, but is it really like that? And if the answer is no then, then, and, and the Chach and Bina working together then the Bina has to come up with some other way of making sense of things. So what would be two ways of making sense of your wallet being stolen in terms of you that would produce two totally different emotions but they're both accurate? Not be, one, neither, of them is a, neither of them is some sort of Frankenstein distorted version of reality. They're both, they're both accurate perspectives on reality. Your wallet gets stolen and you make sense of it how? Mm. Someone stole my wallet, which presumably means they needed money. And so what's going on with them? Right? And that might lead you towards feelings of compassion right? and empathy. right? Or we could do the first one I said, which is how does having your wallet get stolen really affect your life if we take your entirety of your existence and you know, the spiritual, you know what happens to your soul, and then you might be feeling gratitude. Now, gratitude and compassion for another person are two very different emotions, for sure. Right. Okay. Now, a broad-minded person might be able to think of it in both ways and feel some mixture of those emotions simultaneously. That's you. Know. Well, the first way was the one that I said earlier, which is gratitude that God is taking the time and effort to help you grow and cleanse your soul, and the other is. Realizing that there are people out there who are that desperate that they're willing to steal someone else's money. And you can go even further, right? Because you realize that people have a natural sense of, of, of propriety, which means if a person's willing to violate their sense of propriety for money, right, there's a backstory to that. Why are they that way, right? And to the degree to which I see myself as a, a, as a moral, compassionate person, right, that triggers a feeling you need to maybe figure out what happened to them, yeah? And there are people that are actually like that. There are stories of people like that. They got robbed, and that began a quest to figure out who robbed them and why they robbed them and how can I help them? Yes. Does that
1: mean that when I find one blackma, the the emotion is frustration considered emotion, and would it be illegitimate? Meaning, is it not it's top of the person's wall of the soul, even with the compassion and the gratitude? so so
0: that's our religion right 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 now i have to alter my plans and altering my plans requires a drain on my resources right and therefore right and 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 and, and that's unpleasant right and you know i shouldn't you know unpleasant things are things we like to avoid and feeling an annoyance about that yes but what you'll notice is that if it's really that and only that right well the, I mean, this is one of those things. Is it is annoying to cancel your credit cards and do all that stuff, right? And it is annoying that now you don't have access to however much cash or yeah. okay. But those are, when put in, when put in context like that, the, that level of emotion tends to be much smaller because it's connecting to a much less significant aspect of the reality. Um, I mean, people do this all the time. Where you're like, you get really upset, saying wait, wait a minute. All this means is like now it's going to take me an extra 20 minutes, which is annoying, but like nobody died because of it, right? You, you know, you're really upset. And then, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, this is inconvenient. And that inconvenience, like it's inconvenient. I'm not saying I'm denying the inconvenience and I feel some sort of resentment towards that inconvenience. I'm not saying it's a holy emotion. It's a different discussion. But, but the emotion is, is it proportionate to the degree of inconvenience. Right? And when it's not, that tells you that, the, that there's a lack of there's not even You're not even connecting to some real aspect of the reality of it. It's inconvenient. But that's all it is. Yeah?
1: Okay, so in the example where you think if somebody stole your wallet and you start to think like, wow, that person must be so desperate, I have so much compassion for them. So you're thinking about it not in terms of yourself anymore, but you're still exhibiting an emotion. You're
0: still thinking in terms of yourself, and that's because human beings, as I said before, have a social dimension to them. So that's you're, you're thinking about it in terms of you, but with a more social or group-minded sense of you.
1: But you could think about the same example as somebody else's wallet getting stolen and still feel compassion for the person who stole the wallet.
0: If you're... If you're uh, uh, that you would need to have a deeper, stronger sense of a social self. Just, this, this, what, what, the, the ability to do this depends on how cultivated your sense of social self is. So if, 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 what do
1: you mean by
0: social self? Human beings are social animals, which means that our sense of me incorporates not just my own individual self. So for instance, if you hurt my children, that feels like you're hurting me. That can be extended to people that live in my city, right? People that live in my country, um, it could be extended. You know, if you were at Marxist, it could have, you could have what's called class identity. Like you're, you know, you, you're, you're. So you can see yourself as yourself as incorporating and encompassing other individual human beings, and that's what allows us to vicariously experience their pains and pleasures and bothers. And that's what we call, you know, compassion and empathy and sympathy and all that whole range of things, which is not uniquely human, by the way. We just because we have seichel, we can really do manipulate that. So um. You're saying you view the
1: thief as an extension of yourself. That's what
0: you, It have to be. Usually, because you often see that, like, like you could see yourself in their shoes, or what would happen. Like, you usually you start getting thoughts of like, how, if, like what would have had to happen to me to bring me to do right? You see, you're you're, you're putting themselves in you and them in you. And so you're you're dealing with a, with a, with a, with a, with a with a more a broader sense of yourself—that's true—but it still has a sense of yourself. If you think about that purely academically, then you just start becoming curious about the social factors that lead people to steal, and, and without feeling any compassion towards the people, right? Then you become a sociologist. I mean, I theoretically could be a sociologist and have compassion, but they don't necessarily have to go together. So. Yeah. This is a little bit random. Does that—that
1: that definition of your social? or, like, mm-hmm. who you're interacting with, is that, like, how co does that mean you're connected to everyone? Or it's only who you're interacting with if you interact with that, Like, a thief might live on the other side of town. Are you
0: asking me a spiritual question or a psychological question?
1: Social.
0: And then it usually depends on a combination of who you interact with and how you make sense of those interactions and then what you build on with that. Mm-hmm. Um So drawing on my limited knowledge of Marxism, this is the idea of... This is the idea of class consciousness. If you start to think of yourself as a factory worker, then you say, "Wait a minute! I'm a factory worker. You're a factory worker. So we're basically the same. So then we should treat ourselves as one big group." And then a union is born. That's right. And then we and then and then, and you know and then we overthrow the bourgeoisie. Yeah. Okay. No, but I'm serious. Like that's. I mean. <laughs> You know, and by the way, the best way to do that—the best way to create more of a sense of group identity—is to isolate the outside group, the the mutual enemy. Then we really start to think of ourselves as members of a group rather than individuals. That's why wars tend to be, um, you know, often employed to unify people, like or like the bombs falling. So all of a sudden, we're all together in it, all united. You ever read those are editorials? Like, why can't we all show the same unity that in every day that we feel after a tragedy? That kind of thing. Different things trigger different senses of self. So you have different senses of self available, and depending on which one you bring to bear, in that as will, you know, if you have a very individualistic sense of self, compassion becomes very hard to cultivate as an emotion. Yeah. Um, in regards to like not being open to. Something, Born from, like, a prior emotion? Right, that goes back to what I said. In a broader sense, this whole process presupposes already certain given attachments, which is why we've said that in general, sechel's is like a mother. In general, sechel's is working off of prior attachments, okay. such that you're open to certain things, not open to other things. But then more specifically, in any particular act of his bonus you know, of pondering what? and reflecting there is the importance of maintaining an openness to the truth and reality of the thing you're trying to cultivate an emotional relationship with and thinking about it in a particular way that brings to that particular kind of emotional response. But if you don't do that, and by the way, skepticism is just the most extreme version, but there's also a more minor version of the same issue, which is not you're skeptical of it or cynical of it. You're... um, You're bored with it. There's certain things like you're not like, you know, like yeah, yeah, I've heard this before, same thing. You know. Then what happens? It, it has a similar effect to the skepticism because again, the being bored is like, you're not, there's no curiosity, there's no interest, there's no interest. none of those kachma qualities are there, which means again, whatever you start thinking about, how it makes sense of it will now be detached from the reality of it. And it will also be warped. This is actually something that the fifth Chabad Rebbe writes in one of his discourses that people complain his brain just doesn't work, and he says because people forget the rea- that they're actually thinking about God, and they're just like, yeah, they're just like reviewing stuff in their mind. They've heard it before. You know, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. That 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 kind of casual indifference to what's going on. It's a more subtle version of the same thing that you know, cynicism is in the extreme. And so you could even be like a very from person, very religious, and still have that. You know? It's like how many times can you hear the same story in Chumash over and over and over again before like enough? Right? And the same explanations with the same lessons. And I thought about it, and I understood like, well, okay, fine, yeah, whatever. That's 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 the stuff you say. Part of that's a choice. That wait a minute, this goes back to Chachma. There's there's wait a minute is there Is there a reality here? Is there something actually significant here? Is there something of importance here to put yourself in that different headspace and it 's like all of these things these are things that these are things that you know these are slow you know if, if you're if you 're not doing one of these things very well to change it takes you know practice and willpower and sometimes more specific guidance depending on what 's going on with the individual so you do so the the is not just is contributing something very important it 's that starting point, that this is something real, this is something of interest, something of note, something of worth, it has to actually, my way it makes sense, it has to match reality, then the way it makes sense of it can actually elicit an emotional response to the actual reality of the situation, and not to some warped thing in my head. That sounds
1: like mostly done like elementary
0: Hopefully, <laughs> I mean, look, all of these things, you know, for most people, they, they, they do them to some degree and not to another degree, right? If you're not doing this to any degree, you're probably not a functional adult. You probably legally need a guardian. You can't do this at all, right? Okay, so that's the father and the mother, and they give birth to the emotions, love of God, and awe and dread of him, okay? And, we, and someone asked why... We don't mention the glorification, we'll get to that to later. Okay. For when the intellect in the rational soul, right? The rational soul is just the nickname for the godly soul here, said earlier in the chapter, deeply contemplates, what is deeply contemplated in the original? Misbeinen, it does this act of his bainus and immerses itself exceedingly in the greatness of God. Okay. So now we're talking. We're introducing a new topic, which is called the greatness of God. And I'm going to make you define the greatness of God. Define the terms greatness of God. Actually, before you define greatness of God, it's a compound term, right? So which term do you want to define first, greatness or God?
1: God. God.
0: Okay. So, define God. Well, then... then like, you're going to contemplate the greatness of God, but I'm not willing to define greatness of God until I've defined God, and I can't define God, so no. Like, that's not going to work very well. <laughs> what? The word actually... The, the, actually, th- this, is, this is a bit of a trick. The word you should define first is greatness. Do you know why?
1: Mm.
0: Yes, but not for the reason that you're probably thinking why are you thinking you can't define God?
1: Because I, I genuinely don't know
0: how. Okay. <laughs> Can you define your mother?
1: Yeah. Yeah? Uh-huh. Please do. <laughs> no.
0: That defines her?
1: Currently, in her current state. Oh, that
0: defines yes. her. That defines her.
1: Well, she has given birth. I'm going to ask you. She uh, is no longer living. So. Okay. I feel like those are two very
0: definitive qualities. Yeah, but, but you <laughs> do realize that when you're defining something, right? Like, if, I, if you define something, then, then then that's the definition of that thing. So anything that has that definition is that thing, right? So, Genghis Khan is your mother? Because he's also dead.
1: <laughs> he didn't give birth to me, though. No?
0: Oh, so... There's one person
1: that gave birth to me. So dead and gave birth to me.
0: Okay, so... Well, your
1: father and mother can both of like, like, take part in... Okay, but
0: for that part, you don't need to part the dead part. You can just say the person that gave birth to me, right? But... No, there's a different word for that.
1: Okay, so conception of.
0: Yeah, your mother gave birth to you. Okay, okay. fine. That defines your mother and defines something that she did. I think it, that that is identifying her. It defines my mother
1: in in respect to me, and you were asking me to define my mother.
0: So, so, th- th- so this is the issue: is that your mother's a person?
1: Okay.
0: Um, people shouldn't be defined. People can be described people can be identified, people shouldn't be defined. Why not? Because when you define something, you limit it to that thing and only that thing, you objectify it. And you take away the most fundamental fact of a person, which is that a person has their inner subjective sense of self.
1: What if a person no longer has
0: that? Well, then you say there was a person who had that subjective sense of self. There are only three words, four, because we have to include gender, that can actually be used to talk about someone, themselves. I, you, and he or she. So if I want to talk about me, I can use the word I. I am I. And only I am I. You are you. Right. And now if I want to talk about someone who isn't, I'm not talking... About myself, I'm not talking to someone else about themselves, I'm talking about someone not present, then I use he or she. Any other word, any other word is not referring to them themselves, it's referring to something that puts them in reference to something else, it describes something other than what? Their name is also that. But he
1: could reply, if I say, like, he walks so the there are a thousand he's that. Right,
0: but when you said he, you meant a specific he, right? Okay. Now, the fact that he walked to the so, so the fact that he walked to the, the store is not a is not a reference is not a is, it, that that doesn't these words. What they do is they pick out the fact that that there's someone there. Okay, I am someone. You are someone else. He is someone else. Right, and 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 they also they also. And they, and they also pick out point of reference. So self vis-a-vis self, I. Self vis-a-vis other who's present, you. Self vis-a-vis other who's not present, he slash she. Then I can say a bunch of stuff about, the, about me or you or he, she, and that stuff could be very accurate. Some of it might be changeable, some might be not be changeable, but you can't reduce the self to that thing. You can't say that is the definition of my being, that's the definition of me. If you define me as your teacher, that's insulting. I'm not defined as your teacher. It's true to say I'm your teacher. You describe me that way. But that I am I is A, true before I was your teacher. It's true after I stopped being your teacher. And even while I'm being your teacher, it's not the totality of me. In fact, nothing is the totality of me. The only thing that's the totality of me is there's a sense within me that I am I and you're someone else. Right. This is critical about the difference between relationships between beings and ha- objects. Right. You all heard about that idea of objectifying someone? That's when you remove that from them. So there's objectifying them in the most crass way that, like, you know, I like pretty paintings and I like pretty people. Okay? But, but you can do that. I like smart people. It's still an object, it's an object that radiates intelligence. And I like having those around, right? An okay. object that radiates humor. Okay? This is why, and I think I mentioned this before, this is why when, when you ask your spouse, and you should never ask this, but because you're setting yourself up for a problem, which is why do you love me? We have a problem, right? Because if you say, oh, I love you because you have feature X. Oh, oh, I see. So it's nothing to do with me. It's just feature X. And you say, there's no reason why I love you. It's nothing to do with any of your qualities. Oh, so 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 what? Just some generic nobody. This is a problem, right? So the thing is like this. Now we have we, we use proper nouns stuff because he, she, I are very like vague. So like to keep track of them, we have proper you know, we we give people proper names, right? Sometimes we want to identify more specific aspects of relationships. So we use titles, father, mother, teacher, etc. But at the end of the day, the person themselves is not defined by those things.
1: So living in the, why would?
0: But because you—that's defining me. Defining me means this is the thing that you are.
1: Like you,
0: but but I'm alive, and you're alive, yeah. and my wife's alive. But we're not the same person. So being alive doesn't define me. Okay. Does it? And even things that are totally unique to me they don't really they don't really capture my sense of me of my in, of, of of the fact that i have this inner subjective being of my own there's no word that captures that other than i when i'm referring to it you when you're referring it to my presence or he when someone else is referring to it outside of my presence yeah That's true, but the fact that you're using "teacher" is that you are now talking about it in the context of being your teacher, and that doesn't capture the fact that the fact that they're, they're your teacher, as true as that might be, is not at their core what makes them who they are. The, 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 prob- the, 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 problem, the problem is like this: Even if you're saying something about somebody which is 100 percent accurate, that is not what makes them them. Even when you say something about yourself, it's not really what makes you you. The thing that makes you you, that's unique to you and to no one else, is that when you say I, you mean someone unique and no one else can mean that person when they say I. And I say I can only mean me. When you say I, you can only mean you. And now if I want to acknowledge the fact that you can say I about yourself and doesn't mean me and you're in my presence, I use the word you and then if you're not present, we use the word he. But it really starts from this word, I. The word I is a very, very powerful word because the word I means that I can say a word that has unique meaning to me because I'm the one saying it. If I say I, it means something very different than when you say I, and only I can say I and mean that. Only you can say I and mean what you mean when you say I. That's what makes you you distinct from everybody else. And you know what the cup and the book and the table and the sun and the moon don't have the ability to do, say I. So they're objects. Which is why you can feel things towards them, they can't feel things towards you. You, They can be part of your life, you can't be part of their life. Now, if I want to acknowledge that I'm not the only one that has that, then I turn to the person near me and I say you. So I'm acknowledging that they have an I like I have an eye, and if that person is not present, then I say he or she. But when I start saying words like teacher, or rabbi, or mother, what am I doing now? I'm talking about roles, I'm talking about functions, and those can be objectified, right? The father figure, the mother figure, right? Those are those are those are those are just as objectifications as you know the cup and and the spoon. I think they're a little more significant and intricate, but they're still. You know, people go around looking for a father figure, right? So there's some sort of definition of the world that needs to play, and they're looking for something to fill that, like someone is looking for a cup because they want a cup of coffee. I mean, it's a deeper need, but it's, it's objectification. You could, but I'm not using them that way. I'm using just the fact that there's the fact that there's a third. That's why I said that's why I start off by saying it's three. The gender element here is immaterial. The the, element, the important element, is the third person. Acknowledging the the I and the I isn't present. Versus the I is present, but it's not my I, versus my own I. I, you, he slash she. I don't want to get, here's a place where gender really is irrelevant. Yeah. So
1: looking for stuff in
0: Looking for, I, staff. yeah. So I'm looking for
1: something his role. Yeah, that's
0: pretty, uh, yes, yes. So the the critical on. difference between before the chuppah and after the chuppah, if, you know, we're talking about everything as it should be. Is that before the chuppah is purely objectification? You're looking for someone who can fill the role of a husband, and you know that's you know not just a technical matter, right? But yeah, you have you want to have a family that means. mean, you're looking for someone who's husband material and father material. And when you find them, then you marry them. But once you marry them, now it goes now it goes from someone who is going to I found someone to fill the husband father role to now it's I am going to have a relationship with you, and you are going to have a relationship with me, and and, 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 and such that we develop some kind of a sense of an us. That's, in, in principle, what the difference between looking for someone to marry and then marrying them is. Whether in real life we have the power to make that transition just like that is <laughs> <it's> another matter. <laughs> yes? No, it doesn't work in both directions. When I say I and I mean I and you say the same thing, can God say the same thing and, and mean it and
1: be true?
0: When he says I...
1: But when I, like, when I say I, I'm talking about me. Yeah, when God says I. I, but he's also talking
0: about me. Well, I'll tell you something that happened to me in first grade, which is not a direct answer to the question, but it's close as you're going to get. When I was in first grade, I had the wonderful experience of my father being my first grade teacher and the Judaic Studies principal, which means I got punished three times. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I remember we were learning Shema, and at the end of the Shema it says, I am Hashem, your God. So I raised my hand and I asked my teacher, father, and principal <laughs> why am I saying that I am Hashem your God? I'm not Hashem your God. <laughs> That's kind of a weird thing to say. Like, we, yeah, but if you stop, like, why are you speaking as if? And my father's answer was at the beginning of the paragraph that says, is, and by HaShem of Moshe, Hashem spoke to Moshe. So you're actually doing what? You're not speaking as yourself, you're quoting Hashem. And because I was in first grade, I didn't ask a follow-up question. But if I was a little more mature, what would my follow-up question have been? Why in my prayers am I quoting what Hashem said? That's like a weird thing to do, right? Why am I adopting someone else's point of view? Like, I can understand like if I'm talking to Hashem. I can even understand if I'm talking about Hashem. It's kind of weird for me to like impersonate Hashem talking about to Moshe about what he should tell the Jewish people. That's like a weird thing to do. Why is that part of our prayers? Okay, I'm not going to answer that question, but just the fact that that's part of our prayers means that there is this weird thing, and there's a role for it, and there's a place for it, of someone adopting someone else's point of view and speaking as if they're them. And somehow that's part of relationships. And that's why we see why that is, I'm not going into. That's why it's in our diving. So in answer to your question, if we do that with Hashem, might not Hashem sometimes do that, with us? Presumably. Maybe. But it like takes way off here. So God. So God um is someone. So it's a proper name. So if I say can you can can you define Rabbi Kaufman? The only thing you could really say about Rabbi Kaufman is Rabbi Kaufman is someone who has his own sense of self. That's beyond that you can describe me in many different ways but you can't define right so god is also a someone there's someone like it's kind of confusing if you just say he 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 like which he are you talking about like he the guy who delivered the milk he the guy who like is making the jackhammer noises that went away eventually <laughs> or so that's why we start giving people names right so which he are we talking about here or which a being who has their own sense of i not your father not your brother not the neighbor down the street but no, in this case, we're talking about God. God. So the reason why you can't define God is God is just a proper name for someone. Okay? This is very important because you can't move forward unless we're going to treat God as if God is someone rather than something. God is not a cup. God is not a table. God is not a character. God is not a father figure in the sky. God is not a source of morality. God is... God is, what, God is not a blank. God is himself. Now the question is, are there things we can describe about him? Like, I'm myself, but you could say, like, you know, I, I teach and I this. You can even say, like, you know, uh, um, I, ha- I have a very weird sense of humor. Whatever it is, you could describe me, but describing is not the same thing as defining. If it's someone, the definitions are off the table. It's not a special purview of God. It's the same, that's a basic level of respect you should treat everybody with. But that's not really defining me. That's defining the class that I belong to. Because you're human and I'm not you. Mm -hmm. You can define my class. You can define... That's true. Um, which, which, are, which, which is doing why, doing which leads us to a very interesting thing, is that objects don't have individual selves. This is a cup, right? That's as far as we go. The only thing that differentiates between another cup and another, and this, this cup and that cup, is technical things. But fundamentally, we're in, there's no difference between this cup and another so, cup. What? We
1: find
0: well, that's an interesting question, and I don't want to get into it because it's the end of class, and what I say would be controversial. <laughs> okay. But people and God Can't be defined Because Well God is the only member of his class mm-hmm. Right
1: so Well that's that, You can't, you can't okay. define the class
0: of God Oh so, 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 so that's the answer That most people think about Is that the class of God is undefinable But, but that answer although it's true Misses the point that's like, that's like the technical theologian answer. Well, God is of a class all of his own and there's no point of reference outside of us, outside of God himself to define his class and therefore his class remains undefinable to us and blah, blah, blah. Fine, whatever. Yeah, he's the, thing, he's the only thing like himself and there's no point of reference to analogize him to, so blah, 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 blah. But you know what? That misses the point. The real point is something much more fundamental. The, the, the fifth Chabad Reb Rebbe, Rebbe Shab says is one of his talks, he says, people think the reason you can't, un- you can't understand God is because God is infinite and you're finite. He says, that's not true. Even if God were finite, you couldn't understand God. Because you're not God. You're someone else. I can't be you. You know why I can't be you? Not because you're infinite. Not because you're smarter than me. But because I'm just not you. (laughs) And that's, before we go forward. But you can still understand. Oh. Which then also frees us up to tell the theologian to calm down and say, Well, okay, so maybe there are things we can understand about God. It's just that those things aren't God's very self. And so, it, th- this is very critical. You, can't have a, you cannot feel love towards God if you're not treating God as someone. That's, a That's
1: totally a demonic God. What? We're treating
0: him as a someone. On the contrary, a someone is the most undefined thing that is. In fact, the, Mar- is, yeah. In fact the moral says when people say what is God... He says, well, what, are you, what is your very self? The same way your very self has no definition, that is a model to understand how God is... Un, is it's not you lack the ability to find God. Definition is not the right way of approaching it.
1: What is God if not as someone? What, what's a faulty... What? What, what, what's a faulty understanding
0: of God? Like, what is God if he's not the same one? A something. In fact, many people, when they start thinking about God, start doing that. In fact, we do that with each other, right? When we get on the bus, most of us think of the person sitting at the bus as a something. I think I mentioned that before. uh, There's layers of objectification. In fact, here's what's really scary, because this speaks about this a lot, we tend to think of ourselves very often as a something, which is why we're busy labeling, am I a good person or a bad person? Am 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 I like the kind of, you know, is it, this cup worth saving or is it worth throwing in the trash?
1: Well, those are just character traits.
0: We're not defining ourselves. Well, well the, yeah. the, the inner dialogue changes. When you start thinking about yourself as am I a good person or a bad person, then you are treating yourself as a thing. When you're trying to, when you're trying to think, was that, is that the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? What is my responsibility to fix the wrong thing that I do? Yeah. How? How do I feel about the wrong thing that I do? Notice that I am never, I am never the subject of trying to
1: are we constantly unconscious, constantly unconsciously aware of that part of us? Mm-hmm. So, even if we're objectifying, let's say, an external part of us, we still have this.
0: Right, which is why, which is, so you know, you, know the, you know the Hebrew word for saying, wait, you wanna say that there's this thing here? You know how you say that in Hebrew? Yesh. Look, there's that thing. Yeah, yesh v'davr, and you know chassidist is considered a bad term because what are you doing? You're objectifying problem with, with the Aisha's there isness is what are you treating yourself as? Mm-hmm. An object. Can objects have relationships with things?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not really. Yeah. If you make someone else an object, they can't, you can't really them if you make yourself an object.
1: you can't have a relationship with until you marry them.
0: And moreover, you're often treating yourself as a thing. Yeah. This friends? is the difference between the Hebrew word etz and the word yesh. What about
1: friendship?
0: Same thing. Real friendship also.
1: In other words, I'm using somebody for, compa- for their companionship.
0: Then they're not then I wouldn't say that they're really a they're really a friend. Well, no, then like
1: how would you define a friendship relationship because I don't have I would tell
0: you, know. tell you very simple. When your life collapses and you are no longer the thing that, that other people thought you were, nor the thing that you thought you were, the people that are still there for you and willing to expend resources for your welfare because they care about you, those are your friends. It's important to have at least you know one, two, three friends. By the way, one of the things that happens is that when people go through that, one of the traumas is realizing that they thought they had all these friends and it turns out that they didn't.